We are The Table, and we are so glad that you have taken time out of your week to join us. Here at The Table, it is our hope to move you forward in life and faith over the course of this message. At The Table, we do things just a bit differently. We pose questions in real time, and we want to give you some time to wrestle with those questions as well. Again, thanks for joining us, and we hope that this message moves you forward. Expect that God is going to show you who he is. Amen? Because I'm telling you, he's there. He's there. He's all around you. He's all around the world. Would have you believe that there is no God and God is not real and God is not visible and God is dead. I'm here to tell you, no, he is not. The very fact of the evidence is this. You woke up this morning and you didn't have a button on your back that you pressed that says start. You didn't have a, a, a switch that you could say click and your lungs go. You just are. And it's the very same breath that he breathed into the first man. So I want to encourage you today, kick off your shoes, relax your feet, kind of. But I like to have fun. I like to make sure that you can have a time of laughter. I like to make sure this is a church that we're about learning. We're about learning. So I'm going to challenge you to learn. The Bible records that faith, faith is fortified through the hearing. So I got to tell you something that you can hear, that you began to believe. The Bible also records that one that, is, that who believes and is baptized is saved. I want you to be saved based on what you hear and the fortification of your faith. See, that's a way of just saying, you listen while I talk. <laughs> and I'm going to point you in the direction of God's word so you for yourself can build internally. Amen? Amen. Let's get it started. Dear Heavenly Father, we honor you on today. Thank you so much for every single person within the sound of my voice. You're brought here for a reason. We take a minute to just exalt the name. You are God and you are God all by yourself. While we're in this time of fellowship, this time of conversation, this time of learning, we pray, God, that you be right here in the midst. Tell us what we need to hear. Speak directly to our situations. Let us know that you know us and call us by name. So of everything that is said today, I pray, God, that you anoint the words that come from my mouth. Allow me to recall the things that you've put in my heart, but allow each person to have a clear head and a clear heart so that you may speak directly to them. Have your way in this time that we have together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, 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 amen. All right, let's go. Let's get this thing started. Today is part two of a series we started last week. How many of you remember the name of that series? I'm so glad because it should be right there. <laughs> Parent guilt. So this month we're going to be talking about lifting the weight, lifting the weight that is, that comes with parenting and comes with leading young people. How many of you find that easy? Okay, because I was going to say, <laughs> there's a show called Super Nanny that you might need to get on. 
Because I'm going to tell you like this, I tell my kids fairly frequently, and I probably should stop telling them because then they're going to start to really look at me weird. But I tell them regularly that I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done this before. I've never seen this day before. So it's very possible they'll ask me a question that I do not know the answer to. It's very possible that they'll be faced with situations that I have not. It's very possible that things will come up that I just don't know. So last week we talked about, and my sermon title was, how many of you remember? Under pressure. We all feel it. It's all there. For you that weren't there, we had, we listened to Queen and Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby, to show you how easy it is for things to sound the same but not be the same. And sometimes when it comes to parenting, we talk about being a response, we, we talk about being an adult, but there's a difference between being an adult and a responsible adult. There's a difference between being a parent and a responsible parent. And based on the word of God, it, he challenges us to take care of what is a gift from here. And I gave you this point. Bringing children into the world and raising them to be faithful members of God's kingdom is an opportunity to shape the future. But today I want to talk about how we shape the future when we've allowed ourselves to dwell in chaos and drama. In other words, as parents, sometimes we could be a hot mess. And if you think you can't be, I'm probably talking to you. <laughs> Sometimes we, in our own selves, in our own heads, in our own inconsistencies, in our own wavering, in our own relationship choices, you could have said two amens and I would have summed it up real easy, we would have got out of here. But sometimes in our adulthood, and you know, we couldn't wait to be grown, all the stuff we said we weren't and weren't going to do. Sometimes we can be such a mess, and then we, 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 we don't really know how to work ourselves out of it. And then we have children, and we want to act like we got it all together. So today I want to talk to you about a couple situations that will illustrate for you how do we get from drama to destiny. From drama to destiny. Say that with me. And if you don't mind, lean with me. If I say, from drama, that section over here. When I go this way, you go that way. All right, let's try this again. From drama to destiny. One more time. From. There it is. I want to take you to the book of 1 Kings in the fourth chapter. And I have a few verses for you. And I'm going to Start at um, verse number 29. Everybody got it? Thank you. It's up here. Everybody got it if you don't got it. But if you don't got it, get it. Amen? Okay. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. It says this. God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding and knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. In fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the East and the wise men of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan, the Ezraite, the son of 
Mohal, Haman, Kokal, and Darda. Any of y'all named y'all kids any of that? Okay, just checking. His fame spread throughout all the surrounding nations. He composed some 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs. He could speak with the authority about all kinds of plants and from the great cedar of Lebanon to the tiny hypsum that grows from the cracks in the wall. He could also speak about animals and birds and small creatures and fish. And kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. Solomon was considered the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon was considered to be the wisest man who ever lived. And I thought it was interesting reading this text because a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the creation account and what God created and how everything that God created, he entrusted man with. And some of the very same things that God created then, it says here that Solomon in his wisdom knew what to do and how to have authority over those exact same creations. See, we need to understand that there is a difference between knowledge and wisdom. There's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom. And this generation don't need you for knowledge. Because everywhere they go, everywhere you go, there is information out there. But see, us as believers need to understand that we need God's wisdom to know what to do with the information. There's tons of things out there. All this, all you got to do is Google it or Safari it or whatever you do to just search for whatever you're looking for and you can find anything about anything. But you have to know the difference between it. See, sometimes as parents, I'll put it on me because you, you might not be ready to hold this for yourself. Sometimes we know it all. Sometimes we know it all. But you still ain't ready to hold it, are you? Sometimes I know it all. And I have the tendency to, if I don't know, if you give me just a few minutes, I'll find it. Now, don't be elbowing the person next to you and taking, putting all the blame on them and not taking none for yourself because this is what we do. I'm trying to tell you that all of a sudden when we, when we get of a certain age, we know everything. Well, the word records that Solomon wasn't about just knowledge. He was about wisdom, the wisest man. And in 1 Kings chapter 3, it says that Solomon loved the Lord and he followed the decrees of his father. Now, here's a little Bible test for you. Does anybody know who Solomon's father was? If you know, throw it out here. David. David. David was Solomon's father. David, you may or may not know that David was a shepherd boy who was overlooked by his own father. When Samuel came to anoint a future king, he told Jesse to bring all of his sons. Jesse brought all of the sons except for David. See, some of you in this room might have been the kid that was overlooked, even by your own people, looked down on even by your own 
Brothers, I'm telling you, you wait long enough, I got something for everybody. David was anointed king. David was also the young man, who you may or may not recall, who stood up to the giant Goliath as a boy. Everybody else in his town, including his big, strong, handsome brothers, including all the rest of those who wanted to fight in the army, when they saw the size of the giant, all of a sudden became cowardly. And this little boy who Goliath laughed at was the one who took his stones and a sling and knocked down and beheaded the giant. Some of you might be the parents that have overcome some really large obstacles. Some of you, your, your, your past life has been against odds and against all odds. But then there's some things about David that we don't always talk about. So maybe you might be one of these other Davids. Because I recall a situation with David that ain't too favorable. How many of you know who David's mother is? If you know, know her name, throw it out here. Bathsheba was her name. I'm sorry, Solomon's mother. Thank you. See, this is a church that I want to, because somebody might have got caught up. Chuck, thank you for that. Solomon's mother was who? Bathsheba. Don't let me get away with stuff like that. I did it on purpose. I know, I, I know what I was saying. <laughs> Solomon's mother was Bathsheba. Can I give you a little bit of insight to who she was? She was married to a man named not David. She was married to a man named Uriah. Now, I know what you're thinking. Ooh, this sounds like some drama. So get your popcorn ready. Get your popcorn ready because we're going to take this quick journey into this here story because the thing I don't want you to miss is that in the midst of this crazy circumstance, the wisest man to ever live was birthed out of a messy situation. Remember, this is about parent guilt. Many of us have messy situations that are dictating the way that we raise our kids today. David saw something that he liked. And he wanted what he saw. The Bible records that David was resting and he happened to take a glance out of his window. Ooh, and he saw something that he had to have. He sent for it. And can I just put it to you like this? He got it. Bathsheba was out there sunbathing and he saw it and he immediately had to get what he saw and just because I don't know how real you are with your older kids I'll just put it to you like this he put his hand in the cookie jar and the result was a muffin in the oven you following me 
it then, the word of God says this in 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter, chapter 5, that later when Bathsheba discovered she was pregnant, she sent David a message to let him know, I am pregnant. So can I, can I, I need you to maybe read between some of these lines. What this means is they weren't together when he saw her, found her, got with her. They clearly weren't together after they cooked up. Because she had to reach out to him to let him know what the result is. So they clearly wasn't spending much time together after. Ooh, some of y'all feeling uncomfortable on your seats. Take it up with the word of God. It's in there. It's in there. 2 Samuel chapter 11. And so when David gets this news, him being the king, he then decides, well, I got to do something about this. And the word of God says is that Uriah was in the army. Uriah was protecting, he was with his squad. They were supposed to be protecting, doing the thing of honor. Can you imagine while you out being honorable, she at home dishonoring? But this is what's happening. So David has the grand plan and he's going to tell Uriah to come on home and he's going to give him leave. Come on home, because if he can get Uriah on leave, then he'll get home with his wife, who he's missed. Then they will cook dinner. (laughs) And then when everybody gets to counting the months, the math will math. And the baby, they won't, nobody will ask any questions because he was home on leave and they was cooking. So now, except, except, Uriah said, wait a minute, it is my duty and my honor to fight for my people. And instead of going home, he went back out to fight. David says, oh man, that ain't going to work. So what does he conjure up? He essentially puts a hit out on Uriah. Well, if, we, if he goes back out there and he dies, he dies in honor. There'll be a period of mourning. Then I will take her in and I will look honorable because I'm taking care of something that's not. Amen. So this is what it says in 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter, verses 26 and 27. Oh, David's plan is working, according to him. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to his palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. What? Can you believe this? Can you believe this? Can you believe this? The results are in. And Uriah, you are not. I find it very, very interesting that the son that was born from this situation became the wisest man who ever lived. And I find it even more interesting that Solomon's parents 
were the ones in the middle of the drama. But when it was time for King Solomon to be in the middle of the drama, he was actually the one that helped in the dispute. Now, I don't know how many of you, I know you all saved and sanctified and all that. But I got news for you, before it got too crazy, Jerry Springer had some of my attention. I thought it was crazy that folks would get up there and the audience would yell. See, y'all was with me. Them on this side was, they was at VBS or something. Y'all, y'all was at a retreat when we was over there. But what I'm, what I'm saying to you is, it's very interesting how you can come from something and be so different. Because this is what happens when we see that, that uh, Solomon is in a similar situation. The word of God says this. I'm, I'm going to give you some context first and I'm going to go right into the scripture here. Well, Solomon, when he is king, there are two women who let's just call them ladies of the night, had themselves situations, both found themselves with babies. Oh, we're going to get into some drama today. It's in the Bible. Don't look at me crazy. But these two women found themselves with babies, and you know how, maybe you don't know, but I'm going to just tell you from, yeah, just yeah. And so like people sometimes do, when they find themselves in unfavorable situations, they want to make their situation better than the person that's in the same situation. You ever seen this? You ever thought about this? So these two women, who both are women of the night, who both have babies, who the parent is not, they might not even know who, I don't know, the Bible don't tell us if we know who they are or not. The point is, they have babies. But every time, every situation, well, well, well my situation is not like her situation, because at least my situation like, he come around sometimes. Oh, yeah, but, but when he come around, he don't, he don't buy y'all dinner. But your dinner came from McDonald's, and my dinner came from... I'm giving y'all a, a, a glimpse into dysfunction and chaos and drama. These two women have these babies. And there are con- there's, there's something going on between them. The Bible records that when they went to sleep, one of them rolled over and smothered her child. Her child died. She got up, went to the other lady's house, switched out the babies, took the alive baby, left her with the dead baby, and went back. The Bible records that when the other lady turned up to nurse her child, she realized that the child was not breathing. When she realized the child wasn't breathing, she took a closer look and then realized that that was not her baby. So the dilemma that comes before the king, you think you got choices to make. They show up at the king and the king, Solomon, says, well, what is the, what's happening? They explain this situation to her. And here is where we pick up in the text. First Kings chapter three, verse 26. Then the woman who was the real mother of the living child and who loved him very much cried out because the solution here is, well, it's two of y'all and one baby. Let's cut the baby in half. Each of y'all get a side. Why are you looking at me? This was the wise king's advice. Sound wise to you? 
This was his advice. Okay, cut the baby in half. Each of y'all get a side. Problem solved. Simple math. Well, the word says that the lady who is the real child's mother says, oh no, my Lord, give the child to her. Don't kill. This baby is alive. Don't kill this baby. Give it. I would rather not. I would rather bear the heartbreak than to hurt this baby. And while she is saying, give the child, please do not kill him. But the other woman said, all right, he will be neither yours or mine. Divide him between us. Cut him in half. Then the king said, do not kill the child, but give him to the woman who wants him to live, for she is his mother. When Israel heard of the king's decision, the people were in awe of the king, for they saw the wisdom God had given him for rendering justice. Why is this important? See, Solomon sat back in this moment of wisdom, and he realized right then and right there, he realized that for him, he put them in a situation that said that the mother who cares most for the child would be the one who would not want the child hurt. But this is what you need to know as a parent as you sit here and I ask you how do we get from drama to destiny? Because sometimes as parents, Sometimes as parents, we want to rewrite who we are and where we've been so that we can be presentable to our children. The word of God says that Solomon followed in the faithfulness of his father. And because of the faithfulness of David, Solomon knew how important it was to have a relationship with God for himself. But here's the problem. The only way that David becomes the psalmist, the only way that David is declared a man after God's own heart is David had to recognize that God had been with him when he was a shepherd boy, that God had been with him when he slayed the giant. And guess what? He realized that when he made this mess of a situation, he was ruining his life and the lives of everyone around him. So when we look at David and just declare him this, 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 this awesome king and all of that, you can't can't take the good of David without David's drama. And it is the drama that allowed him to buckle down and really get in the trenches of recognizing that he wasn't just making a mess of, of, of the lives of others. He got to a place where he realized, God, I've been sinning against you. I've messed up my relationship with you. So when we read all the Psalms that David wrote and there's all of this declaration of how God is, is, is his everything, you think he got there by accident? Or did he have to go through some things? See, because of the things he went through, it put him in a place to be very submissive to who, who he was supposed to be 
from the beginning in God. If we don't allow our offspring to see how we bounce back, if we don't allow ourselves to be transparent enough and real enough to stare our messes in the face. But here's the thing, before you can do that for your child, you got to do that for you. You've got to be willing to stop making excuses and realize, wait a second, I am where I am because of the choices that I made when I wasn't with God. I got to be willing to stare right in the face and allow God to restore and to heal and recover and to save me from myself. This picture of perfection may be the very thing that's creating a boundary between you and your kids and your kids and their relationship with God. The very idea that we gotta pretend to be something that we're not. The very idea that we won't face the decisions of our past. And some of those decisions could be addiction, could be divorce, could be frivolously being sexually active. It could be all of these things. And you're so hard on your child because you're trying to prevent them from making the mistakes you made. I get it. I understand it. You, 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 you ready to, to, to ring them? You ready to say, you, I brought you in this world, I'll take you out of it. But you're so passionate about that because you're trying to help them save themselves. But can I tell you something? A key to them saving themselves is going to be finding God. So at some point, you've got to come with, to grips with, wait a minute, I messed up. Now I'm not telling you tell all your kids your business. But what I'm telling you is let them see how you have been redeemed. Because if you can show them how you've been redeemed, then it doesn't seem like such a fairy tale and unrealistic about what they need to find in God for themselves. We see a father who messed up in David, and he cried out to God. But we see a son who learned of his father's faith, and he replicated it. And the Bible records he got even greater. Even greater was given to him. So maybe you're the parent who blew it right out the gate. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. That's your business. But maybe you really started this thing off wrong. How your child got here was a hot mess. No judgment, but if that's your truth, that's your truth. Maybe you're the offspring, like Solomon, who was born into straight chaos. But either way, we see in this reflection of David and his son Solomon that the Lord used both of them and he can use you. If this message challenged you and moved you forward, personally or in faith, we encourage you to share it with someone who needs a message of hope today. And if you're interested or looking for ways to partner with us in our mission here at the table, 
head on over to thetablejoliet.org for more information.